and quite frankly, sometimes those dignity needs, right? It's very uncomfortable sometimes for a son or a daughter to help their mother or father with some activities they're living that are very intimate. So bringing in somebody who's trained in how to do that in a compassionate way and who's a little bit uh, more neutral can really, really help in the relationship uh, for the son and daughter to be son and daughter and no longer caregiver. Welcome to the With You at Every Step podcast. We address your healthcare questions and help you navigate life's challenges. Our guests share their expertise and real-world advice related to care for older adults, grief and healing, and pregnancy and parenting. Every Step is a nonprofit healthcare and human services organization offering dozens of programs that are there when people need us most. Learn more about our free and low-cost services at everystep.org. Thank you for listening. Here is our host, Holly Carver-Kim. Welcome to With You at Every Step, where we talk about some of the issues, questions, um, concerns you might have about a variety of healthcare topics. And Dr. Tom Mosier, the Chief Medical Officer for Every Step, is with us today to talk uh, about hospice and the many different disciplines that take part in your hospice care. So welcome again to the show, Dr. Mosier. Thanks for having me, Polly. You know, I think when we think of hospice, immediately we think of the doctor or the nurse who takes care of us. Um, but there are a lot more people involved in hospice care, and that's why it's so unique and and really provides a great deal of comfort and quality of life care. What are some? Yeah, of the, oh, sorry about that, Tom. What are some of the things that uh, are some of the people that we see on that team? Well, yeah, no, it, and it's it's a great question because I would even back you up further than that, that a lot of people, when they think about hospice, they think about dying and they think about um, medications and fears about medications as if uh, maybe medications might expedite dying. They don't recognize that hospice is actually um, a benefit that provides for a very robust and highly educated team of people, of healthcare professionals, whose job it is to care for that patient regarding and specific to their needs and their disease state. So um, it is not about the medications, it's about the care team and the people. And oftentimes, um, it's exactly what the patient has been needing for a very long time because it's the care team that was maybe missing um, all the way through. And so that care team is uh, very robust. And uh, yes, they're certainly, I think people are pretty familiar that nurses are involved, but it's not just um, the kinds of things that you might experience in a hospital. It's nursing way beyond what a lot of people have experienced because it's high-level case management and care over their whole care plan in a home-based fashion, which, you know, most of the time when we encounter nurses, we encounter them in the hospital and they're hanging medications and they're doing care. Um, they're passing um, medications, they're putting in IVs, but home-based nursing care is very different. And many people identify that was the missing link all along that was helping them live better. Because they actually come into the home and assess all of the gaps and needs that are there. And then they 
case manage and pull in other members of the team like nursing aides who they can delegate um, activities of daily living and bathing and help with things in the home that have been barriers. They can um, pull in social workers who can help uh, bridge some of the gaps of some of the questions over what to do about finances, what to do about other care needs that they have been somewhat lost and swirling with. They can tap and pull in spiritual care counselors who can come and just sit down with them and just work with them where they're at over their anxieties and fears and wonderments about um, everything that's going on. They then will collaborate, work with both the primary doctor who the patient has identified to be their lead physician and the hospice medical director. So there's multiple doctors at that point that will then interface and be involved in helping guide excellent evidence-based care towards their medical illness and their needs. So in other words, it's like bringing hospital-level care into the home that meets the gaps in the home that have never been met before with a really, really robust team of healthcare professionals. So we talk about all of those healthcare professionals, but then we go beyond that because we also then are going to bring in other disciplines oftentimes like massage therapy, Reiki therapy, uh, music therapy, volunteers. Um, so the team really can be quite endless based on the needs and the gaps that are identified. If you don't mind, I want to go back and talk about uh, each of these disciplines a little more. Um, for instance, what is the difference between a hospice nurse and a nursing aide? Is there a different set of uh, educational requirements or how is that differentiated? Yeah, no, they both have nursing in the title, so it can be confusing. So a nurse is actually a healthcare professional who has been trained and educated in medical care. So they work hand in hand with the physicians to deliver the care and their scope of practice includes oversight of uh, medication administration um, and talking about what's going on with the meds, any side effects, relaying that information, assessing uh, the patient's vital signs, assessing how they are doing, and then feeding that back to the physician. So they are a healthcare professional that provides the, the care from the medical standpoint. And the aide then assists the nurse to, and has delegated some of that um, care that is non-medical nature, such as the caregiving. So that might be the bathing, that may be uh, helping um, the nurse with positioning and so they can do the wound care management. The nurse would need to do the wound care management that the, the aide would assist. So in a sense, you can think of a nursing aide as the assistant to the nurse and, and helping with that. Um, and uh, I've heard uh, patients and families often talk about, well, I mean, the entire care team. I hear nothing but good things about it, but especially uh, the nursing aides. Um, they are the ones who, like you say, are doing a lot of that. The, a lot of the work that sometimes a family will bring the hospice team into their place they call home because they just can't do those things anymore. You know, the physical requirements of taking care of their loved one. 
Yes, the, the physical requirements of taking somebody whose health, taking care of somebody whose health, health is ailing is, is exhausting. It's a little bit like running a marathon at a sprint's pace. And so it is very common to hear the families speak about the AIDS as angels, people with wings, right? Because they come in and they offload all of that. And that allows a family member to not feel stressed about you know, frankly, I think sometimes that interface of guilt, I'm burnt out from caring for my loved one, but that doesn't mean I don't love them, right? You just can't keep burning the candle at both ends. And so when you bring a team in who has that nursing aid, who can come and offload those caregiving needs, and quite frankly, sometimes those dignity needs, right? It's very uncomfortable sometimes for a son or a daughter to help their mother or father, with some activities of daily living that are very intimate. So bringing in somebody who's trained in how to do that in a compassionate way and who's a little bit uh, more neutral can really, really help in the relationship uh, for the son and daughter to be son and daughter and no longer caregiver. Um, the social workers, again, uh, I would call them some angels, too, because uh, they really come in and, like you said, uh, kind of guide everyone through the, the process uh, processes. But some of those mundane things that, like you just said, people may feel guilty about, you know, how am I going to pay for this or how do I handle that paperwork? And and the social worker kind of is, uh, the way I see it, kind of that uh, liaison between a bunch of different things that, that you have to navigate through. Would that be a right, correct way to think of it? Yeah, I always feel bad for our social workers because at first light, a lot of people don't maybe understand what they do and they have maybe a false understanding of the power behind their training. In general, I would say every single person who enters our medical system is inundated with gaps and frustrations over navigating that system, right? Social workers excel in helping people navigate the system, navigating the complexities. How do you appoint a power of attorney? What's the proper process? How do you orchestrate a living will? How do you navigate potentials for like body donation? How do you navigate the complexities of nursing homes and payment and fees? How do you navigate the complexities of insurance benefit? and long-term care insurance benefits and all that, and how it interfaces with hospice. There are so many um, very specific things that people run into that by themselves, they're just completely overwhelmed. I would liken it to attempting to uh, navigate tax law without an accountant, right? It's very stressful. You can spend a tremendous amount of time and still not be certain if you did it correctly. And when you bring in a social worker who's extremely experienced and highly trained in that area, it makes it very, very easy. And, and again, offloads all of that um, potential strain from the patient and the family and caregivers. The, uh, the, the spiritual care counselors are another unsung hero, I think, of this whole this whole team approach in that uh, when we talk about spiritual care, it, our spiritual care counselors are um, 
what I want to say, uh, they are compassionate to all beliefs and um, there's not any certain uh, religion that they are only going to talk to you about or, um, you know, a way of thinking about death. They're, they're just there as a sounding board, basically, and to provide comfort and care, right? Absolutely. Again, I think uh, another discipline that often maybe first gets passed over or people want to opt out of, which they have the right to do. But then a lot of times when they finally meet the spiritual care counselors, they recognize, oh my goodness, this was wonderful. I wish I would have met them sooner or um, had them interface with me sooner. Because the reality is we all have a spiritual side to us. We all have beliefs, that is to say. And those beliefs may be agnosticism. Those beliefs may be uh, Buddhism. Those beliefs may be Christianity. Those beliefs may be atheism. It, it, every one of us has beliefs. Those beliefs impacts our journey and how we process death and dying and the things that we want to sometimes talk about in death and dying and sometimes not talk about. But ultimately... The spiritual care counselors are very skilled in in that, uh, having those conversations, but they are also very skilled in connecting people to the resources in the community. For instance, if somebody uh, has a Buddhist faith and they are, say, visiting and have a health emergency and come on to hospice in the area, they can help connect them with a Buddhist monk. They can help make sure that their wishes and traditions uh, at time of end of life are honored and followed. They can help explain it to the care team. They can help investigate those things. So again, at first light, one might think, well, a spiritual care counselor would only be valid if you have a faith tradition. But truly, they're valid in every scenario that a human being could encounter at end of life, regardless of their beliefs. And they are also there for the family after death occurs. There are all kinds of grief support groups through our hospice spiritual care counselors. Um, they, they, they play a role even after death, right? Absolutely. Yes, um, definitely. And, and that goes for social work as well. Definitely very involved in supporting the patient family and building those relationships. And again, when it comes to spirituality, let's be honest. Um, just because we came from one tradition doesn't mean every person in the family shares that same faith background or tradition doesn't mean the patient does. And so sometimes spiritual care is just helping navigate the complexities of that dynamic and helping advocate for the patient's right to have their beliefs and to uh, not be um, inundated with um, others um, beliefs and traditions. So ultimately, there's a there's many different ways that a spiritual care counselor can benefit a patient and helping support them where they are at. And then all the other folks that you mentioned, the the pet therapy, massage therapist, um, these are primarily or maybe exclusively all are wonderful volunteers who are uh, trained in what they do. Uh, we have trained massage therapists who volunteer their time for hospice um, as well as pet therapy. Uh, there are just so many uh, people who uh, help out and provide this service that is really special for hospice care. 
Absolutely. When you think about the kind of person that would volunteer freely of their time to be able to help people who are walking a sometimes very scary and dark road of terminal illness, you recognize that you have selected a very, very special group of people, right? And they have a lot of passion and a lot of commitment towards helping people in any way they can. And so that power of presence with people and, again, meeting gaps that oftentimes were unmet, loneliness because of a health-related condition is a humongous issue, isolation, um, loss of autonomy and independence, loss of relationships and community is humongous. So when you apply that back towards someone who has had that missing, it can be, have a magnitude that is really something that you can't put out, you can't quantify very well because it's humongous. Well, and and, so, and we mentioned a bunch of uh, uh, things people do who volunteer, but there are also volunteers who just sit with with a hospice patient. They don't even have to say anything. They're just there to provide um, companionship. Um, and then we even have uh, volunteers who are, I don't know if I have their name right, but the final hour or end of life volunteers who are there um as a loved one is passing away. I mean, they, these people are pretty exceptional. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, no, none of us know the, the exact day or hour that someone will pass and families sometimes will hold vigil, but they also have to go on with their lives. They have to leave and take care of themselves at times. And so having that reassurance that a volunteer can sit with their loved one if they should pass, um, or if a family member uh, can't make it back in time, knowing that there will be someone with them, that they will not pass alone it is a huge uh, contributor for peace of mind and, and helping in that, in that moment. Well, it's just a, the care team is as we've discussed, just multidisciplinary, so wide, uh, it just it catches just about every concern you can think of, perhaps, as you're thinking about hospice care. And so it is way more than um, a nurse in a hospital. So thanks for all your insight today, Dr. Mosier. If anybody has questions about hospice care that we provide or any other uh, any other issues that you uh, have want to have addressed or just curious about, we invite you to visit our website, everystep.org. And uh, especially if you're looking for uh, assistance for you or a loved one, visit everystep.org slash care, C-A-R-E. So that's everystep.org slash care. And uh, thanks again for being with us, Dr. Mosher. We always enjoy having you on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure.